0: Welcome to the Hill City Church podcast. We are a church family located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about us and support our ministries at hillcitysgf.org. We'll be in Genesis four one through seven. Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, "I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord." And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God, Hill City, you can grab a seat. My name is Aaron Nelson, I'm the Salt Company director here at Hill City. So if you are a parent in town for homecoming, I'm the one who has the honor of working with the college students here. So Before we go any further, before we hop into Genesis 4, I have an ask on behalf of Salt Company. We have our fall conference coming up in just a couple of weeks, and we have a lot of students who are wanting to be scholarshiped, who don't have the money to come. In fact, before I came up here, I I got a screenshot from one of our staff talking about a, a, a submission someone put on their scholarship application. We asked, like, how much can you put towards conference? And someone responded and put, I have $4 in cash. And so if you want to know the state of our college students' financial situation, that's it. So we need help. So if you call Hill City home or you just want to support and love our college students well, um, we would appreciate you coming beside us, partnering with us um, and helping scholarship our students. It's $70 per student. Uh, And so if that's something you'd be interested in, we'll have a couple people down here afterwards to get you that link to help scholarship some of our students. Before we hop into Genesis 4, let's start off with going uh, before the throne in prayer. Lord, you are gracious and abundant in mercy and love. And I pray that today, as we get the opportunity to encounter your word, um, that we know you have things in store for us. You you speak to us through your word um, and the messages that we take from it. May we become uh, people of pure-hearted worship and of deep-rooted faith, um, and of a, a people who uh, rigorously work to fight against sin in our lives and to rule over it. And I pray that today as we leave, we walk out of here with a deep love for your design and obedience to your word. In your name I pray, amen. So I have a sister nine years younger than me. And I don't know if anybody can relate to this, but I feel like her and I lived in two very different homes. Um, I grew up in a home where, when we went to a restaurant, we didn't get soda. Uh, I grew up in a home where we never went out to eat unless we were traveling. Uh, And I grew up in a home where vacations weren't much of a thing. My sister, on the other hand, grew up in a very different home. In fact, when I moved out, And I'd come back to visit, we'd go out to the restaurant, and there would be soda on the table. We would go to a restaurant on a random Thursday evening, not just when we were traveling. And my parents even ended up going on vacations. And I have to be honest and confess, I find this incredibly irksome. It bothers me. It shouldn't, but it does. Even today, I'll be honest, it gets at me sometimes. But the reality is, the reason it bothers me is because it's my sister. It's my sister who gets to be the one to do it, and that's why it irks me. As Matt was reading Genesis 4, we're going to see one of the greatest sibling rivalries that's ever existed. We're going to see one of the more violent sibling conflicts that there is out there as we enter into Genesis 4 and as we look at Cain and Abel's lives in this story. But before we hop into Genesis 4, by means of recap, let's be reminded where we ended a couple weeks ago in Genesis 3. Adam and Eve have been sent out of the garden, and God has placed a flaming sword and a cherubim to keep humanity from ever returning to the tree. And so for the first time in human history, we're in brand new territory. Brand new territory. And that new territory is the fact that we are now in life outside of the garden. We're officially outside of the garden. So in Genesis 4, we see the story of God continue. The shortcomings of humanity, the spread of sin and rebellion against God continue. And as we enter into Genesis 4, that story remains true. So in Genesis 4, when we start, Adam and Eve start having babies. First comes their first son, Cain, and they give birth to the first child ever. What a fascinating thing to be a part of. And the, and the child comes, and, and Eve celebrates, and then they welcome a, another son into the world named Abel. And as time passes, it tells us their occupations, and we keep moving forward in time. And the time of year comes to give a thanks offering. And this this was an offering that was to worship God and just thank God for being God. So we get to verse 3 through 5. It says, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. Fat portions, that's going to be an important thing to remember as we move forward. But here's what we see in these first few verses we're gonna talk about today. At face value, these both seem like acceptable offerings before the Lord. They're both okay. Even the, the historical readers of this would see this and think of these as acceptable offerings before the Lord. Abel comes, and Abel works with flocks, and so what does he do? He brings an animal to offer. And as Cain comes to offer. He works with the ground, and so he brings fruits. And so these both seem to be acceptable offerings to the Lord. But here's what we're going to see quickly, that God is examining something a little deeper than just the offering they put on the altar. We move into the next verse. It said, the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. The NIV puts it this way, That for Cain, God did not look with favor. The KJV, which I think says it the most aggressively, says God did not respect Cain and his offering. Why? What's going on here? Like we said at face value, it looks like both of these brothers bring acceptable offerings before the Lord. Why is God disregarding one and not the other? Didn't they both complete their duty? Yes, they did. They both completed their duty. So what's the issue at hand? Why is God disregarding Cain's? It's because God was looking at the posture of their hearts. God wasn't just examining the physical offering. He was examining the heart of the one who offered it. And so we find out the heart posture of both of them if we flash forward to 1 John 3. It's revealed to us what was the heart of Cain and what was the heart of Abel. 1 John 3 says, Cain and his own motivations and deeds were evil. And his brothers Abel's were righteous. So we get the state of both of their hearts as they bring these offerings to God. And as we work through Genesis 4, we're going to see where that evil posture in Cain's heart comes about, and we're going to see it in two different ways. The first way we're going to see the evil and unrighteous motivations of Cain are through Cain's offering versus Abel's offering. And the second thing we're going to look at to see the unrighteousness in Cain's heart is in his response to God disregarding his offering. So let's start with looking at, What Cain had to offer versus what Abel had to offer. Abel comes to the altar. He builds his altar. He's coming and he's bringing his firstborn of the flocks with him. And he comes to prepare the offering and he pulls out his butcher knife and he cuts off the fat portions. And he puts it upon the altar. And what we have to understand about the fat portions as as the listeners today is that back then the fat portions were like the filet mignon of the animal. They were the absolute best part of the animal. And so as Abel approaches the altar, he's not just bringing some run-of-the-mill cut. He's not bringing some run-of-the-mill animal. It's the firstborn of the flock, and it's the best part of the animal he brought. Abel here is putting the best of the best on the altar. I'm a very uh, imaginative reader, and so as I'm reading through the Bible, I picture Abel showing up with his offering with like an eager attitude. Kind of like an attitude that I had when I bought my mom her first ever birthday gift for me. I was like six or seven, and I had saved up $10. If you don't know, six or seven, $10 is like a million dollars, right? So I told my dad, this year, I want to buy mom a birthday gift. And so, where do we go? Where else would we go than Big Lots. All right, so we get to big lots and I get in there and I'm looking at one of the most eclectic gatherings of presents ever, and I come across the perfect gift: big old watch with big old rhinestones. And I'm like, "This is it. This is the perfect gift for my mom. It's 8.99, so it fits into my budget, And so I run to Dad I'm like, "I got it. I got the gift." And so we go to the cashier, we check out, it comes out at 9:50. It's the day I learned taxes existed, and it was a very disappointing day. But I get out, and I spent almost all of my money, and I'm ready to get home and give the gift to my mom, but my dad's like, you got to wait for her birthday. So we wrap it up. I'm waiting, I'm waiting. Finally, her birthday comes. So I bring this gift to my mom, and I give it to her, and I'm just I'm beaming. I'm so excited for her to open this gift. I can't wait. I've spent, like, all of my money... To get my mom this perfect gift, I think this is Abel's posture. For me, bringing my mom that gift, it was the best of the best I had to offer. And for Abel, bringing the fat portions before God as an offering is the best of the best he has to offer. Abel comes with like Psalm 63 type of worship in his offering. Where it says, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you and so I will bless you. As long as I live in your name, I will lift up my hands. Abel comes before the altar with faith-filled worship. Wanting to give God the best of the best he has to offer. And we look at Cain, and Cain comes with some fruit, which like I said, it's an acceptable offering. But what would become clear to us if we, if we look through the text and as we consider how the, how the writer writes this, it makes it clear that Abel brought the best of the best and it doesn't bring any clarity to the type of offering that Cain brings. And so maybe by an argument of silence, but it seems the author writes this with intention that Cain just brings what's required. It might be enough, but it seems like it's the bare minimum, just what's required of him. And Cain shows up with what almost seems to be a stingy heart of worship. So it seems because of their different heart postures that Cain gives a little less than Abel. not maybe in quantity, but certainly it seems in quality. Cain completed a duty while Abel offered his worship. Cain met a responsibility and Abel saw an opportunity. The issue, like I said, wasn't the offering, it was the heart of the one who made the offer. So we come to today, and we're still outside of the garden. What happened at the end of Genesis 3 is our reality today. We exist outside of the garden. So the kind of things that are working in the hearts of Cain and Abel are the same thing at play in our hearts. And the question I want to encourage us to be willing to ask ourselves as we look at the offerings Cain and Abel bring before God is what does faith-filled worship look like for you? What does giving the best of the best you have to offer look like in your situation? Not just to complete a duty, but to offer your worship. Because dutiful worship, like Cain here, oftentimes turns into bare minimum worship. Doing the least we have to do. I'll do the least that allows me to feel like I've done enough. I'll give the base 10%. I'll go to church on Sundays. I'll maybe even pray over meals at night. But one of the challenges I have for us is we live in the buckle of the Bible Belt. And cultural Christianity runs rampant here. And cultural Christianity doesn't require very much, it actually lends itself oftentimes to bare minimum Christianity, doing the least. What we see from Cain and Abel here is that's the heart posture Cain shows up with, the bare minimum, and we're going to see the effects of that heart posture come. We have to have the integrity to examine our hearts and ask questions like, why did I even show up this morning? Am I here because I'm completing a duty or I'm here to genuinely offer my worship? And when I say worship, don't just think raising your hands and singing music. No, think about your life. Your life is your worship. And are you doing it just to do the bare minimum? Or are you doing it to worship the living God? Ray Ortland says it this way, getting by with the bare minimum Christianity is dead religion. It's dead. We were created to give God the best of the best. Are you bringing your best or are you bringing what's required? We could go all kinds of different directions, practically speaking. We could go the money routes. We could talk about are you giving generously? Are you giving the best of the best of your finances? But that's not the route we're going to go. We're actually going to go the route of something I'm feeling extremely passionate about this morning. The last couple days, I got to spend up in Ames, Iowa, hearing from the leaders of the SALT Network, which is the network that Hill City is a part of. And while we're there, we got to hear the vision and the goals of the network to see a church plant in every university city across this nation, and once we do that, pass that. And as I'm sitting there listening to them cast a vision for planning churches, I'm hearing story after story of men and women and families who have picked up their life and left behind family and friends. Picked up their life and left behind a cushy job. picked up their life and moved across the nation to go love on a city and on a university campus that needs Jesus. That is a life that has been placed on the altar to give the best of the best. That's what that can look like. Now, not everybody's call here is a church plant. But what does the best of the best look like for you? What's your best offering? Is it your relationships, your time, your energy, the list goes on and on? But I think the invitation for us here is to give the best you have to offer. And not out of duty. But because we worship were created to worship. And so it would seem that Cain had to bring to offer in his worship was just the bare minimum. And that helps us understand the first part of Cain's motives and why his offering was seen as unrighteous. But here's the second. We look at Cain's response to God disregarding his offering. It says in verse 5, after Cain recognizes that God didn't respect his offering, that Cain's face, that Cain was angry and his face fell. His physical posture here communicates what we see happening on the inside. His face falling communicates anger, dismay. In this situation, it communicates self-righteousness and evil. part of the issue with Cain here is when Cain gave came to give his offering he believed because he offered something to God that God owed him my worship my offering deserves return it's a heart posture Cain shows up with and it shows a lack of faith a heart that is filled with faith is not a heart that gets angry at God because he owes me something. That I deserve that because I did something for you. Now, where is the return for me? And that's the revelation of Cain's heart we get here. That his offering wasn't made out of faith, it wasn't made to worship God, it wasn't made to glorify God, it was made out of self righteousness, self assertion, and pride. Ultimately, his offering was not for God, it was for himself. I'm going to offer so that I may receive. And then when he doesn't receive it, his response is anger. I had the uh, opportunity a week, week or so ago to talk with my staff about our different work personalities and how they function together. And one of the things I shared was part of the dark sides of my work personality the shadow side of my personality. And for me, one of the ways it makes itself most obvious is I can get really angry and bitter and resentful for when someone else gets credit for something I believe was my idea. When someone else gets praise for something I feel like I came up with, and it's ugly and it's gross, and as I came and I recognized Cain's story here, I saw myself in it. Because the reality for me is when I bring something to the table for my team or for the ministry or for the church and I bring an idea and I don't get praise and I get upset when I don't get praise, it actually shows that I wasn't giving that idea, I wasn't giving that thought for the betterment of the larger entity. It was for me to receive praise for what I've done. It was for my own benefit. And that's what we see with Cain here. And so we see Cain's heart revealed throughout his interaction to God's response to his offering and also in the different offerings him and Abel brought. We see Cain had a stingy heart of worship and that he had a prideful, entitled heart towards God. But God being God engages him with tons of grace. We move to verses 6 and 7. God speaking to Cain after he sees his anger and his face falling. He says, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. God graciously questions Cain. He doesn't come at him angry. He doesn't come at him with a harsh rebuke. No, God has the same gracious heart that he had with Adam and Eve in Genesis 3 after they ate from the tree. Same thing, God comes and asks them questions, and he does it again here with Cain. He says to Cain, if you do well, which in this context would lead us to believe that means if you have a heart that worships in bounty, If you have a faith that worships for God's glory and not your own, then will you not be accepted? Or will God not look favorably upon you? I genuinely believe if Cain would have brought the exact same sacrifice, the fruit, the same amount no matter what, but if Cain would have done it with a heart that was out of faith and just ultimately to worship the living God, that God would have ate it up in a heartbeat, that it would have been pleasing to God, but from the heart that Cain gave it, it was not pleasing to God. It's one of the things that we see make itself clear throughout Genesis 4, 1 through 7, is that worship that's pleasing to God is worship that comes from a pure heart. Worship that God soaks in and takes up gladly is a worship that comes from a pure heart, a heart to give God the best of the best, a pure heart that in faith says, I believe in your promises, a heart that in faith acknowledges that I'm just giving back what's already yours, God. A heart that in faith says, you're worthy of my best. But God goes on. But if you do not do well, meaning if you continue with a heart of self righteousness, or a heart of lacking faith, or you're unwilling to submit all of your life to Him, then sin is crouching at the door. Crouching at the door, this phrase is animalistic by nature, it has similar essence to what we see in 1 Peter when it talks about the lion devouring. And so right here, what got this crouching phrase is animalistic. Tatum and I have a dog. Her name is Nova. And she is crazy, but she's also really, really smart. And one of the things we've taught her to do is she can't come through a door until she hears the magic word, okay. So every morning, I'll let her out. First thing, she'll run out there. We have a fenced-in yard, and I'll close it, and I'll go do some stuff around the house to get ready. And after a while, I'll come back. And I'll open the door, and she's just staring at me. She won't move. Door's wide open, and she's just looking at me. If I wanted to, I probably could go do some dishes. I probably could go grab an extra 30 minutes of sleep if I wanted to, and I'd come back, and she'd still be standing right there. But when I come back, and I'll say, okay, and she'll sprint inside, and she'll run to the bedroom. She'll hop in bed with Tatum. Hill City, sin does not work like that. Sin is not waiting for you to say, okay, come on, come inside. You can come now. No, sin is waiting for just a shed of light to peek through into your life through that door to come in and attack and destroy you completely. It's not waiting for your permission. It wants to destroy you. The Net Bible says it this way, sin wants to dominate you. It wants to dominate your families, your sexuality, your jobs, your relationships. Hill City, sin wants to dominate this church. It wants to rip it apart by any means possible. It wants to rule us. And God acknowledges that as he wraps up with a challenge to Cain says, Cain, you must rule over it. You must rule over it. And we have the ability to rule over it. God wouldn't offer this if we weren't capable to do it. We're not aimlessly moving forward. We have a choice. Romans 6.6 makes this clear. Our choice To fight sin, it says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Sin doesn't have to dominate us. In fact, we can rule over it. And that's God's challenge to Cain here rule over your sin. But in order to rule over our sin, we have to be able to name first where our sin is festering. We have to be able to acknowledge where faith has turned into religious duty. And where self-righteousness, self-assertion, and pride has snuck in. Because if we don't, we are leaving the door open for sin to attack. And that's what we see happen with Cain here. Cain doesn't rule over his sin. As the story goes on, we'll we'll come to see that Cain murders his brother. In Genesis 4, over and over, talks about Abel being Cain's brother time and time again, and what it's trying to do is communicate the depravity of this murder. How can the righteous brother be the one who gets killed? How is that fair? Hill City, it's not. But Cain's anger Left untouched, festered and grew to where it led to the point of murder. And so we have to fight to rule over our sin. As I was preparing for this today, I was trying to figure out how does our worship, which is where we started today, Right, with Cain and Abel bringing their offering to the altar. How does our worship affect our ability to rule over our sin? How do those two, two concepts intersect with one another? And it took me a long time to work through it and try to understand what God was doing when he brought these two concepts together. And, and I, here's where I ended up landing. Here's what I think God is trying to communicate. If sin is preventing us from faith-filled worship, then it's probably preventing us from holy ambition. If our sin, if our unrighteousness is preventing us from faith-filled worship, from giving the best of the best we have to offer, if our sin is preventing us from that, then it's probably preventing us from ruling over our sin, from living out of obedience, That heart posture doesn't just end with worship. It also lends itself to fighting against our sin. Because why? Why would we worship Him fully if we don't obey Him fully? Why would we obey Him fully if we don't worship Him fully? Our worship in our heart, our worship. And our obedience come from the same heart. They're not disconnected. And the worship that's pleasing to God is the worship that comes from a pure heart. And it's from that same heart that we live out of obedience. If you're like me, I struggle with this text. Because it's really easy for me to identify myself with Cain. It's really easy to read the story and just see Cain in myself, because the reality is we are prone to Cain's downfall here. We are prone to unbelief and to lack faith at times, even as followers of Jesus. We have a bend towards rebellion against God. And of course we do. That's the whole narrative of God's word, that we fall short of the glory of God. That's the narrative that we see continued in Cain and Abel's story. And so for me, I struggle with this because I'm able to recognize that I can't look to myself for my righteousness. That I can't lean on my own actions to become righteous. And that assumption is correct, actually. I can't look to myself. But Hill City, that's because we know we look to Jesus. Hear me, as a follower of Jesus, you do not identify with Cain. Once you have placed your faith in Jesus, you no longer are seen unrighteous as Cain was. No, in fact, we're able. We are righteous, but not because we are righteous in action, but because of what we learn in Hebrews 11.4. What makes Abel righteous? It says in Hebrews 11.4, by faith. Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Faith. Faith was the basis for Abel's righteousness. And faith, or lack thereof, was the basis for Cain's unrighteousness. City, it wasn't on the altar with their offering that mattered. It's what was in their hearts. It was the faith in which they both held in their hearts that God was looking for. It didn't matter how grand the offering or how small the offering, God was looking and examining the contents of their hearts and their affections and their desires. And what was on the altar was a result of what was in their hearts. And what was in the heart of Abel? a worship that was pleasing to God because it was worship that came from a pure heart. So Hill City, as we read this as people who follow in the wake of Abel, as followers of Jesus, when we get to read this, we get to read things like Hebrews 11:4. And get to see, by faith, Jesus offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice. Which then, we are commended as righteous. We. were seen as righteous, not because of the sacrifice or the offering we bring to the table. Because of the sacrifice and offering that Jesus did. We aren't even the ones who offered it up. It was done for us, and that is good news. You see, when we look at Jesus, Jesus was the only one who's ever had a perfectly pure heart. And so from that perfectly pure heart, of a heart that said, God, you are always going to get the best of the best, he came to the altar With a pleasing worship to God, and he brought to that altar the best of the best he had, which was his life. That was Jesus' best of the best. And through that, we are named righteous. Through that, we take on the same title as Abel took on. Not because of the offering that we bring, not because of how great we are, but because of the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. By Christ and Christ alone. And so from that, we get to live out Romans 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's a worship. Sacrifice is worship. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Hill City, with our lives, that's what we do. We place our lives on the altar of our worship, and we say, God, you get the best of the best. I'm not reserving anything from you. Not because it's a responsibility, because it's an opportunity. We get to come before God and not think about what we can earn but just come before God and bow down on our knees and worship him. That's what God's desire for Cain was to just come to me to worship. Don't come here to earn. Don't come here for self-righteous reasons. Just come before me and worship. If you're serving communion you can go ahead and get in place. I don't don't know what faith-filled worship looks like for everybody in this room. It's going to look different. It's going to look different from a believer than it's going to look for someone who hasn't decided to yet give their life to Jesus. It's going to look different, but here's what I know. The call in our lives is to give the best of the best. And so to the disciple of Jesus, What's your best of the best? Can you have the integrity to ask that question of yourselves and then ask, am I giving it? It could be a church plant, but it could be much more than that. It could be serving. It could be meeting your neighbors, leading your family, stepping out of a certain lifestyle. Whatever it might be, what's your best of the best? And for others of you in this room, You're giving your best of the best, and here's the encouragement for you to receive. Keep going. Keep going. You're righteous, you're holy, not because of you, but because of Jesus, so keep moving forward. Keep working towards that hall of faith because that worship is pure and pleasing to God. Keep going. And to those who haven't yet put their faith, It's time to stop identifying with Cain. It's time to stop choosing unrighteousness. It's time to hop off the hamster wheel of earning. And to stop looking to yourself for goodness and blessing and start looking to Jesus. Because he's pleased with just your faith. And out of that faith, we give our best. Let me pray. God, thank you for your kindness to cast your son's righteousness onto us. Even in moments when we come before you with impure worship, and even in moments when we step out and don't rule over our sin, you still are kind enough to forgive, and you graciously engage with us and you invite us to turn away from our sin and from our disobedience. I pray today as we leave this room that you will work in the hearts that Hill City can become a church who is known for giving the best of the best that they have to you. Willing to sacrifice, willing to make our hearts a living sacrifice before you. Then may we trust, may we just have faith that your promises are true and that you're good. It's your name I pray, amen.